The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here and. Uh, it is great to be with you. Um, it's great for us to be able to gather together to uh, sing, to pray, uh, to come to God's word, to uh, worship the one true and living God. And that is what we come to do, and, and it is great to do it together. So, so welcome. Uh, we are glad that you are here. Wow. <laughs> I think someone maybe pressed a button or a button got hit. Uh, Going to fix that. And we're about there. So uh, I'm not really sure what I should. There we go. Awesome. Okay. I was wondering if I was just going to, you know, like, let's go outside and we'll be, you know, I don't know. But um, we're great. You don't have to play with, you know, adjust them. Just leave them where they are. Thanks. Um, So this morning, uh, we are continuing in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, we started last week. Um, In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul contrasts the fruit of the Spirit with what I called the fruit of the flesh. Remember, uh, enmity, strife, divisiveness, division, those sorts of things. That's the fruit of the flesh. But but then he tells us that we are to have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That we are to imbibe these things. And, And the reason we're taking time to look at the fruit of the Spirit is because when we think about what are the qualities... What are the attributes that a follower of Jesus is to have? The fruit of the Spirit are those attributes. This is what we should uh, demonstrate. This is how we should live. That when people look at our lives, what they should see is love, joy, peace, patience, etc. So that's why we're spending this time doing it. And the Apostle Paul actually says, right after he gives the fruit of the Spirit, he says that those who belong to Christ Jesus... They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so what he's informing us, what he's telling us about is that that as followers of Jesus, we are to put away enmity. We're to put away strife. We're to put away jealousy and divisiveness. And instead, we're to put on the fruit of the Spirit. And so last week we began by looking at love. That's the first one, love. And today we move on to the second of the fruit. This is joy. And to do so, we're going to look at a passage from John 15. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, and you're familiar with this passage, then this passage should make you think, well, well, I know exactly what Penny's going to talk about, right? The vine. That's what this passage is about. See, John 15 is one of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. There are seven I am statements that Jesus makes. I'm the bread, I'm the light, I'm the way, the truth, and life, the resurrection and the life, I'm the gate, I'm the good shepherd, I am the vine. That's what John 15 talks about. He's the vine and we are the branches. And as he talks about the vine, Jesus isn't simply telling us who he is, but at the concluding section, the concluding verse of that passage, after describing who he is, he tells us that joy would abound. That because of who he is, there would be joy. And so that's why we're turning to this passage. And so let's follow along in John 15 and beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we ask uh, that you would help us now. We come to you acknowledging that that we need you to soften our hearts. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to enlighten our minds. Because if you don't do those things, Lord, we, we will fix our gaze on things not of you. We will hold fast to things not of your kingdom. We will hold dear to that which is not holy and true. And so we need your help and ask that you would show us your face again and teach us to abide in the joy that is the Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So in 2018, uh, Dr. Lori Santos, who is a psychology professor at Yale University, introduced the university to a brand new class, a class that had never been taught before, a class that had never been designed before. In 2018, she presented a new class for the curriculum, and this was a class not just for psychology students. It wasn't just for those who would go on and get PhDs in psychology or psychiatry. It wasn't just for those who, upon graduation, would enter into the counseling room and help people with their mental health. She opened it up to anyone, regardless of major, regardless of year, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Anyone could attend this class. The class was called Psychology and the Good Life. That was the official title. But the unofficial title of this class was the happiness class. It was the happiness class because that's what they talked about. They talked about where happiness comes from and where it's derived and, and how we get happiness and, and why we don't have happiness and, and how happiness actually benefits us, not just in that moment that we have that emotion, but, but how it benefits us physically and psychologically and relationally. We spent a whole semester talking about being happy. Now, what's fascinating about this is that when she opened it up for the entire school, 1,200 students registered for it. It quickly became one of the most popular classes ever taught in the more than 300 years of existence that Yale University has been open. Nearly one-fourth of the school enrolled. Now, think about that. We're at Yale University, right? A lot of these students are going to be sons and daughters of alumni, Right? Some of them are coming from great wealth. Many of them would have graduated top of their class. Upon graduation, they would have been sought after for high-paying jobs and would be applying to some of the best grad schools in the country. And yet these people, 
These people who have the expectations of the good life and have opportunity to make the good life happen, these are the students who want to learn what it means to be happy. And it wasn't just these students. You see, Dr. Santos, after teaching this class, she adapted it and put it online and made it available to anyone who wanted to take it. And over 3.3 million people have now registered for this class. It's called The Science of Being Well. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? When I think about this, this tells me a lot of things. I have a lot of thoughts about uh, what occurred there at Yale University in the, the, the class that followed, but, but there's at least two things that it makes me realize. The first thing it makes me realize is that people want to be happy, right? People want joy, so much so that they'll actually take a college class to be instructed on how to be happy, on where to find joy. And in one, one sense, it's, it's actually not very surprising at all, is it? Because if we ask everyone, regardless of whether they are wealthy or poor, educated or not, whether they are male or female, whether they are young or old, black or white, whoever it is that we ask, regardless of who it is that we ask, if we say, do you want to be happy? Do you want more joy? The answer will always be yes. I could always be a little happier. There's always a little bit more room in my heart for some more joy. People want to be happy. That's the first thing this points me to. The second thing it points me to is that people don't know where happiness is found. 1,200 students, over 3 million people. Do you know that the, um, the general editor for the Atlantic Monthly, so the Atlantic, the, the monthly periodical, news periodical that comes out, the general editor of the Atlantic, along with one of his writers, is putting on a conference in a couple weeks in the month of May called The Pursuit of Happiness. People are wanting to be happy. They are looking for joy, and they have no idea where to find it. But here's the good news, y'all. You don't have to take a class at Yale, and you don't have to go to a conference to find where joy is found. Because our passage tells us that joy is found in abiding. It's found in abiding, abiding in Christ. That's what Jesus tells us, right? In verse 11, he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And what did Jesus speak? Well, look at verses 4 through 5. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we hear what Jesus is saying, right? That in order to bear fruit, in order for us to experience joy, we have to abide in him. In other words, apart from him, we can't have true and abiding joy. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not going to experience momentary pleasures from food or from drink or from time with friends or peaceful walks in the woods, right? I mean, those things can have glimpses of joy. They can have momentary pieces of happiness. But what Jesus is offering us, what the fruit of joy is, is something far deeper than those momentary pieces of happiness. What he's offering us is his own joy. That's what he said, right? That my joy may be in you. 
And the way that we have his joy is by abiding in him. That's what this image about the vine and the branches is leading us to, right? That a branch that abides in the vine, that the vine is going to produce fruit that is, that is consistent with the vine. Right? If you have a grapevine, it's going to produce grapes. Not oranges, not apples. If a tomato popped up on a vine, a grapevine, it would be strange. Right? It would be bizarre. The branch produces fruit in keeping with the vine. And so when we are connected to Christ, when we are abiding in him, then the fruit that is produced in our life should be consistent with the vine. It should be consistent with Jesus. And so what he is telling us is that it would be just as strange for a Christian to not have joy as it is for a tomato to be on a grapevine. That when we are connected to the vine, we will have the fruit of the Spirit. We will have the fruit of joy. That my joy may be in you, he says. That we share in his... Think about that for a second. We share in the joy of Christ. The one who heard the Father, the Heavenly Father, speak words of pleasure over him. You remember the Father said of Jesus, This is my Son of whom I am well pleased. Jesus, the one who knows perfect love, who knows perfect peace. It is that joy that he invites us to share in. That is amazing. Now listen, this doesn't mean that we won't experience sadness. That sorrow will not be a part of our existence. We will experience both of those, right? We know this. Y'all know this. Y'all have experienced it. Every one of us have. The sadness of a broken relationship, the sorrow of death, right? We, we know these emotions. We know these feelings. This is normal. This is the right sort of experience in a world that is filled with brokenness and sin, it doesn't mean that we won't experience these things, but when we experience the joy of the Lord, what it means is that we are experiencing something deeper than sadness and that endures beyond sorrow. A joy that's found in abiding in Christ. Abiding in him, but also a joy that flows from obedience to him. That's what Jesus says in verses 9 through 10. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he says that his joy will be in us. Now, I just want to point out that as we read those couple of verses, it would be very easy for us to think that God's love is conditioned on our obedience. That we obey and then God loves us. It would be easy to read, read that passage that way, but, but that's actually not what Jesus said, is it? If we look at it carefully, what we see is that before he calls us to keep his commands, he tells us that he loves us. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. Now keep my commandments. I have already loved you, so now obey. You see, our experience of Christ's love, of his joy, it flows out of obedience. So much so that he's telling us that our ability to experience his joy is constrained by obedience to him. Now that is contrary to the way we often think, isn't it? Because the way that we often think that joy will be found 
is by living unconstrained lives. Right? Joy is going to flow from, from us doing whatever we want, whenever we want it, with whomever we want. We can think whatever we want to think. We can say whatever we want to say. We can act in any way that we want. Then we will experience joy, right? The only thing that constrains me is my own desires. But that's not what Jesus said, is it? And you know, initially that might sound good, like theoretically that sounds good, but experientially we know that it's not. To live an unconstrained life like that, it doesn't bring joy. You see, to be constrained by Jesus, to obey his commands, doesn't limit our joy. It actually provides the opportunity for it. So think about it like this. So kids, I want you to think about this. So I've noticed that in between the services and after the second service, many of you are playing Foursquare out by the tower, right? Like y'all have seen this, right? Maybe, maybe you've been bumped into a few times. Kids, this is awesome. Like keep doing it, right? Like, keep playing, keep having fun, it's good. I, I want you to keep playing out there. That space is as much yours as it is ours. So, so I want you to imagine you're out there playing, okay? And this is like the four-square game to end all four-square games. It is like back and forth. It is a battle, right? Like, it is the best of the best. Everybody came with their A game this morning, okay? And, and you are playing, and, and, and you just know the, the smallest little mistake, and you're going to be out. And the ball is bouncing around, and you make the, the best play you've ever made in your life. You get fully laid out, you're diving, and you're tapping it, and it lands in the box of the leader, like the, the number one position. Do they still call that the king? The king? Yeah, yeah, I got a head nod. Awesome. So the king, right? It bounces in the king's square, and it's about to land, and you're sitting that you're on the ground because you just dove, and you're bloodied, but you're about to win, and he's about to get out, and you're about to be the king. And all the joy, right? It's like in slow motion. And before the ball hits, just before, the king reaches down and grabs it with both hands, which is cheating, by the way. But he doesn't stop there. He takes the ball, and then he turns to your square and throws it as hard as he can, which also is cheating. And it lands in your square, and it goes running across the grass, and everyone erupts and says, this is the best play the king has ever made, and you are out. Now, as you're laying there on the ground, thinking that you had just made the best play in the world, and that you are about to be the king, you are about to be leading, are you having any fun anymore? No, of course not. They cheated, right? They're stinking little cheaters. That's what they are, right? You're not having fun anymore. They broke the rules. They caught the ball and they threw it as hard as they could. They did everything they weren't supposed to do. And the game that was just fun, right? The game that was enjoyable, the game that was, you were feeling happy playing when you were playing within the constraints of the rules is no longer joyful. Because they are playing outside the rules. They're no longer constrained by the way in which the game was intended to be played. And friends, that is true not just of Foursquare. That is true of life. Because the truth is, is that this is how God has made us. He has set out a way for us to live. And he has created his people in such a way that we are our most joyful when we are abiding in his ways. You see, God didn't give us commands to destroy our joy, but he gave us commands to enhance our joy. 
We are created. God made us in such a way so that we are our most joyful when we are obedient to him. And this is not just true of us. It is actually true of Jesus. Because did you notice what he said in verse 10? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So you see what Jesus is telling us. That in his humanity, he constrained himself to the Father's will and abides in his love. And if that is true of Jesus, how much more true should it be of us? That true joy doesn't come from doing what we want, it comes from doing what he wants. And we know this, don't we? We know this because we know the antithesis. We know the pain and the shame of disobedience. Right? Seconds, minutes, hours after we have sinned. It's not joy that overwhelms us, but sadness and sorrow and guilt. And so, friends, let us see God's commands not as a road marked by burdens, but actually as a pathway for joy. A joy that flows from obedience, but a joy that fills us full. That's how Jesus ends our passage. He says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, love, abide, obey. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You see, what Jesus is telling us is that we need to stop looking for joy in places where it won't be provided. That what we desire, a joy that is full, we already have it. And this is helpful, isn't it? Because often the thing that robs us of joy is believing if we only had what someone else had, then we would have more joy. Right? You know, in um, 2012, Michaela Maroney was the best vaulter in the world. She was an American gymnast. And leading up to the uh, London Olympics, everyone, everyone knew. She's the greatest vaulter in the world. Maybe one of the greatest vaulters ever. She's going to run away with the gold. It's hers. It's, it's, it's a foregone conclusion. Like, the other people don't even need to show up because all they're competing for is silver and bronze because she's going to win the gold. And so at the London Olympics, Michaela, through a series of surprising events, won the silver. She didn't win the gold. And you can go online and you can look and you can uh, watch the medal presentation. And, and there she is, right? There's the gold medal winner. There's Michaela with the silver. There's the bronze medal winner. And they, they put the, the medal, the silver medal around her neck. And she gives a little kind of smile. And they hand her a bouquet of flowers and she holds them and she gives a quick little wave to the crowd. You would think, right, she's a silver medalist in the Olympics. I mean, a silver medalist in the Olympics. You would think, man, she would be beaming, right? Overflowing with joy, overflowing with celebration, right? Like her, her face would just be, her smile would be so big, it would take up her entire face. She'd be waving to the crowd. You would think that, wouldn't you? But after that initial smile, after that quick little wave, you know what she did? She scowled. You can go online, you can find pictures of it. In fact, it became probably the most famous scowl <laughs> since the internet <laughs> because it became the butt of many late-night TV show comedy bits. 
It, it took the internet by storm. It, it actually became a meme. That's how popular it was. <laughs> yes, her scowl. But think about that. She won the silver medal in the Olympics. I've never been to the Olympics. Wouldn't you think, like, just making it would be exciting? Winning the bronze, winning the silver, like, that would be wonderful. She won the silver medal, and instead of having happiness and joy, she scowls. That's shocking, isn't it? It's actually not. You know, there was a study done on silver medalists, study done looking at their facial expressions on the medal stand when they win the silver medal. And what they found looking at the expressions of these silver medalists often isn't joy, it's disappointment. Because all they can think about is that they didn't win the gold. All they can think about is how they want to be in that center, topmost position. And we understand that, don't we? Because we have a lot of joy about our new car until the neighbor pulls up with a newer car. And we have a lot of joy and excitement and love for the vacation we just got back from until we see the pictures of our friend's vacation who went to Hawaii. We have joy. And then we start comparing our experience and we look with envy at what others have and the joy that we once had is now completely lost. But y'all, what if we had a joy greater than what could come from a trip or from possessions or from a career or from experience? Because y'all, that's what Jesus offers us. A joy that doesn't come from experience or possession or trip. He offers us a joy that is full, that is derived from him and what he has done. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went to the cross and endured its shame and took the punishment we were deserving on himself. And why did he do it? For the joy set before him. For the joy of being exalted to God's right hand. For the joy of abiding in God's love. For the joy of delivering you and me from our sin. You see, Christ didn't just humble himself and live a perfect life and die in our stead so that we'd be happy with food and drink and sex and ambition. He did all of that for something much more. A joy that is found only in abiding in him. A joy that flows from obedience. A joy that fills us full. He went to the cross and gave of his life so that we would abide in him and we would know his joy. And friends, that's what he offers. And so let us be a people of joy, abiding and obeying our Lord, knowing that the joy that he has given us is far greater than the joy that anything or anyone else could ever give. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us your Son, our Lord Jesus, who lived and died and rose again, who, who went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. And so I pray that as we reflect upon what he has done and we reflect upon his life, that we would, we would desire that kind of joy. 
that we would find a joy in abiding you and in obeying your word, a joy that fills us full, a joy that nothing else in this world could offer. Father, let us rest in that and let us be a people who demonstrate that joy to one another and to this world. We pray all this in the name of Christ. And God's people said together, Amen.